Well, good morning, church. Great to see you and good to be together to worship in song and now worship around God's Word. And we'll be looking at Genesis 40 in a moment. Ted, Ted was at O'Hara Airport on his way home from a business trip and he went to get his luggage from the baggage area. Almost everyone else had already claimed theirs. Ted spotted his suitcase on the conveyor belt heading toward the canvas flaps and decided he could grab it before it disappeared into the back room. Well, when he reached for his suitcase, he's lost his balance and he felt and he fell onto the stainless steel conveyor. There he was, flat on his back, hanging on tightly to the handle of his suitcase over his head, riding through the flaps into the darkness beyond. <laughs> Several thoughts immediately entered his mind, like, I've been wanting to do this for years. <laughs> but I could get arrested. Now is probably not the best time to get off. And so he rode, still gripping his suitcase, uh, till he and his bag then passed through the flaps again into the lights. There waiting for him was an official-looking woman and said, you're not supposed to do that. To which he replied, I know, but have you ever tried this? And she bellowed, no. And he said, well, you probably shouldn't. And then he swung his feet to the floor. He tightened his grip on the suitcase handle. He stood up and he walked away. Life is sometimes like that, isn't it? You, you fall into a situation you don't want to be in and you feel like you can't get off. And it seems like the best you can do is hang on through the dark tunnel time that hopefully will find its way back into the light at some point. Or as R.E.M. put it, when your day is long and the night is yours alone, when you're sure you've had enough of, of this life, hang on. Because everybody cries, everybody hurts sometimes, sometimes everything is wrong. That's likely how Joseph felt. He's having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And we see Joseph go from the pit to promotion to prosperous to being propositioned to prison. And so as we continue in our series this morning, the master's design, we see that God is working in Joseph's life and in the bigger picture, he's working out his purpose for the people of Israel. He has a plan. God knows where he's going. And as Corey Temboon wrote years ago, as she reflected on her suffering in a woman's concentration camp that I've already shared with you in a previous sermon, so I'll give you the whole poem again. But the essence of it was that God skillfully weaves both the dark threads and the bright threads into the pattern he has planned. And so we've seen in Joseph's life the thread of the broken home. We've seen the thread of adversity. We've seen the thread of success. And last week we saw the thread of unfair treatment being wronged for doing right. And that's where we pick it up today. Genesis chapter 40. Joseph's in prison for doing, uh, for something he did right, but he was being wronged. And we look here this morning at three cellmates, two dreams, and one forgotten. Three cellmates, two dreams, and one forgotten. All right, first of all, three cellmates. I invite you, if you're not there, chapter 40 of Genesis. Genesis chapter 40. Follow along with me, verse 1. 
says, sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offered, offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh, who is the king of Egypt, was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, which is Potiphar, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. And so these two men, they land in jail, and their cellmate happened, happened to be Joseph. And verse 4 informs us, the captain of the guard, Potiphar, assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. Now, as I stated last week, and I'm not going to go there again this week, but this last verse here, verse 4, makes me wonder of the extent Potiphar believed his wife's story. You don't put the man who tried to rape your wife in charge of others. And Potiphar here, he assigns these two cellmates to the care of Joseph. And these three cellmates may have ended up in prison for different reasons, but they certainly share a common, a similar misery. And each of them, at one time, had, had highly responsible positions. Cupbearer, for example, is the guy uh, who mentions here, whose, whose job it was uh, to taste the wine and taste the food before offering it to the king, to Pharaoh. And you might go, well, that sounds like a pretty good gig. Well... You get paid for tasting food and drinking wine, sign me up. Well, before you think you'd love to sign up for that, and you might likely already know this, the reason you're doing the pre-taste test is to be sure it's not poisoned. If it's poisoned, then so long cupbearer and but long live the king. Well, the king, of course, then would have to trust his life to this cupbearer. And if for some reason, reason Pharaoh couldn't trust this man, then he would take no chances but throw him in prison. That's what happened to this cupbearer. For reasons not told to us, the cupbearer couldn't be trusted and he lands in jail. Now the baker, the chief baker, also had to be trustworthy. He was responsible for the food brought to Pharaoh. He baked the bread and the pastries for the king. And it seems like the cupbearer and the baker worked closely together and their job overlapped and I would guess that is what happened here and whatever happened um, is that they, they, they kind of were in on it together or one by guilt of association um, but you know you must be guilty too I can't trust either you guys you go to jail now we don't know what they did to offend the king but we have three cellmates who on some level could relate to each other but what I want us to see here it's interesting the word chosen to describe Joseph's role in his cellmates lives is notice that phrase he attended them it's one word in the original and it means to serve or to minister and that's exactly what we see are about to see here Joseph ministers to them he has a prison ministry now I want you to note this what is about to unfold in the upcoming verses does not happen if Joseph is bitter. If he's filled with hostility, then ministering to others would be the furthest thing from his mind. And if anyone had reason to be resentful, it was Joseph. But we don't see any of that. We, there's no woe is me attitude going on within Joseph. He isn't having this pity party. We read nothing of Joseph feeling sorry for himself. We see nothing of Joseph complaining about his circumstances. No, no, none of that. And that really becomes obvious to me anyway when you read down in verse 6. Look with me at verse 6. When Joseph came to them the next morning, 
morning, meaning the morning after they had these dreams that troubled them. And we'll, we'll speak to those dreams in a moment. I want us to see this last phrase. He saw, he saw that they were dejected. They don't pass too quickly over those words. He saw that they were dejected. To, to me, that's remarkable. Joseph was attacked by his brothers. He sold off like a, a, sold off like a piece of property. He's maligned. He's falsely accused. He's imprisoned for doing nothing wrong. And he saw that his cellmates were sad. Now, be honest here. If you're going through some miserable experiences in your own life, would you have even picked up on this? That something was bothering them. How many people did we walk by this past week and notice they were troubled because we were so consumed in our own stuff? I mean, I wonder, really, how many opportunities to help others do I miss because I'm self-absorbed, because I'm complaining about my own situation? I mean, are you too preoccupied on yourself to notice someone else's problems? I mean, you, have, you may have a right to be unhappy. You may have a right to, to complain. But you're not the only one with problems. I read about a do-it-yourself company. Do-it-yourself company received the following complaint from one of its customers. It said, I built a birdhouse according to your stupid plans. And not only is it much too big, it keeps blowing out of the tree. Signed, unhappy. Well, the do-it-yourself company replied, Dear unhappy, we're very sorry about the mix-up. We accidentally sent you sailboat instructions rather than the birdhouse instructions. And they said, but if you think you're unhappy, you should read the letter from the guy who came in last in the sailboat regatta. <laughs> He's going around in a, in a birdhouse. Are you unhappy about what's going on and what you're going through right now? Ever considered... That God has you in that situation so you can minister to someone else? Perhaps the best way even to see through your own stuff is to look beyond your, need, your, your own need to help someone else. And Joseph does this. And he dares to ask the question, end of verse 7. He dares to ask, why are your faces so sad today? Now, be honest again. We avoid asking those kind of questions. Like, what's really going on in your life? Because if we ask that hard question, what's really going on in your life, that person may actually tell us. <laughs> and then it gets really messy. Said the real tough part of surgery for a surgeon is not cutting through the skin, but dealing with the mess he finds beneath the skin. And that's why we don't want to do it. We don't want to see the mess inside. So we think it's best, let's just keep things on the this is what we're supposed to do. I ask you, how's it going? You answer, good, and you, and then I say, yeah, good, and we move on. That's how it's supposed to work. <laughs> don't, I'm not going to probe because you might tell me what's going on in your life, and I'm going to see this mess there, and I don't know what to do with the mess. Joseph opens the door for ministry, prison ministry. He asks the question. All right, come to two dreams. Two dreams. Why are they sad? Uh, look at uh, verse 8. It says, we both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. I go, might Joseph be thinking here, trust me, dreams only get you in trouble. I mean, if I were Joseph, I might have said to them, that's your problem? A dream? 
that you don't know the meaning of? You think you have something to be upset about? Listen, I did nothing wrong and I'm accused of raping the chief of executioner's wife. I don't, want, I don't want to hear about your silly, crazy dreams. My situation is a lot worse than yours. Now, if you're self-absorbed, you turn this into a competition. You ever do competitive talking? Yes, I have. You think you got problems? Mine is worse than that. You see, if you're manipulating conversations to get the focus on yourself, you miss on opportunities to minister to others. See, it's either manipulate or minister. Joseph chose ministry. He gets out of himself, he sees the need, and he shows mercy and kindness to these two men in need. The two cellmates were worried about a dream they each had and knew it had significance but couldn't interpret it. Joseph knows about dreams and that he's able to help them, but he first lets them in on the true source of alter interpretations. I love what it says at the end of verse 8. Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? He hasn't lost confidence in God. He says to them, okay, now that you understand where the source is, tell me your dreams. And the cupbearer goes first. He tells Joseph his dream in verses 9 through 11. You can read it for yourself. And then Joseph gives the meaning of the dream, and it is good news. It's great news. In three days, he would be restored to his position of cupbearer. There's a, there's a three-day window in which to find out whether Joseph spoke the truth. Now, the significance of this three days is that in three days from this point that Joseph's speaking when he gets this dream, for three days from this point is Pharaoh's birthday, or some think it's anniversary, but either way, it's some celebration, and it's going to be quite a celebration, and it seems customary that on these very special days, the king would grant amnesties. And Joseph simply asking that, that on that day when you receive favor from, from the king, uh, the cupbearer, you pull a few strings for me and mention my name, okay? Verse 14. When all goes well with you, remember me, show me kindness, mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Now folks, this is why we mustn't make Joseph out to be some superhero or some super saint. He was a real guy who's simply trying to make the best of a crummy situation. He is honest about his situation. I'm in this prison. And he goes on, verse 15. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a, in a dungeon, in prison. See, he'd rather not be in this prison. He's not going, oh, praise God, I'm in prison. This is beautiful. I love it here. Not saying that. He's honest. He isn't in denial about his situation. He's in this awful place because he was wronged when doing right. And he asked the cupbearer one favor. I got one favor. When things go well, you keep me in mind. Just tell Pharaoh, please. The cupbearer received good news. And of course, the baker wants in on this. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that Joseph Given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream on my head with three baskets of bread. And then he goes to explain more of the dream. Now, what I find interesting here, and if I'm reading more into this than I ought to, then, then that's fine. Just block out what I'm going to say. <laughs> you won't be able to. But what I find interesting here is it says he saw, not heard, that Joseph had given him a favorable interpretation. 
I don't know if Joseph took him to the side and said, here's, your, here's, your, here's my interpretation of the dream. Good news for you, cupbearer. And then the cupbearer walks over and the baker goes, whoa, I see it all over your face. You got good news. I want in on this. See, good news like this, you can't keep it to yourself. I read about uh, three uh, explorers who found a rich vein of gold in California during the gold rush days. And they realized what a great discovery they had. And they discovered as a group of them, they said, you know, we really have a good thing going on, he going on here as long as no one else finds out about what, I, what we just found. And so, so they each took a vow. Let's keep this a secret. Let's not tell anybody. And so they head for town to file their claim. They get the equipment necessary to mine the gold. And true to their vows, they didn't say a word to anybody. They filed their claim, they bought the equipment, they headed back to the mine. And as they're heading back to the mine, a crowd of people followed them. <laughs> you know why? Because they might not have said a word about anybody about their find, but their faces gave it away. Right? They gave it away. They're going, yeah, well, don't say anything, but I found something. I'm not going to tell you what it is. And you know, and I thought about that. And so, you know, people can tell a lot about us just by our body language. How you go into the office tomorrow or you walk into someone's home or you enter a room, assumptions will be made based on how you come in. Right there. And it was obvious by the cupbearer's countenance that he received good news. So who wouldn't want to be in on that? And what was good news for the cupbearer is bad news for the baker. And Joseph delivers the bad news. Look at verse 18. This is what it means, he says, the three baskets of three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head, hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Wow, how would you like to be a bearer of that news? I think I'd preface it with, don't shoot the messenger here. You know, to be really honest, I'd be tempted to, to, to just kind of made something up here in a positive note. I mean, what difference is it going to make? By the time the baker realized he had been lied to about the dream, it wouldn't have mattered. Why give him bad news? Well, Joseph's integrity shines through once again. He told the truth because he's representing God. Interpretations belong to God. I'm aligning myself with God here. And as hard as it was, he was a man who spoke the truth. And I thought, how... I mean, have you ever had to, maybe even recently this past week, approach someone to give it to them straight? See, as, as Christ's messengers, there are times to speak the good, and we ought to spread that around. But there are also times you must be able to speak the bad, and yes, even the ugly. We must speak that truth, of course, in love and with timeliness. Have a relationship there. But truth still needs to be told. Are you more likely to just say what someone wants to hear or speak the truth? Two men, similar circumstances with similar dreams. One gets good news, the other bad news. And so this baker, he has three days, three days to get his house in order to prepare for death. Some don't even get that short notice. There's this family we, we served with in Portland for many years. Been in their home many times. We just got word this past week that unexpectedly the wife passed away. No notice. No time to prepare herself for what was to come. She seemed to be doing, in good health and she just stopped breathing. 
See, folks, we have no guarantee of a three-day notice. Praise God, she was prepared to meet her maker. Are you prepared this day for that day? All right, one forgotten. We go to one forgotten here. My, my he third heading this morning, one forgotten. We come really to the climax of this true account. And I wish there was a way in which, if you're familiar with this story, you didn't know what was coming. So put on your pretend hats a little bit and say, all right, I wonder what's going to happen here. All right, verse 20, verse 20. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday or anniversary and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. Now the phrase lifted up the heads is really a play on words, but it refers to a ritual by which the king singles out a servant or two. That's what it meant. So Joseph's explanation of the dream was right on the money. The baker was executed and the cupbearer was released just as Joseph had said. Now my guess is, my guess is that the cupbearer is found innocent of the alleged crime and the baker was found guilty and that's why there were two different outcomes. And, and I believe that, reading between the lines a little bit, you got to give me that, I have to believe that because the cupbearer, like Joseph, was innocent. For if he wasn't, then Pharaoh would not have restored him to such a trusted position. I think that when Joseph makes his request to the cupbearer back in verses 14 and 15, states his own innocence, we already read that, he figures as he states his own innocence, I've done nothing wrong and I'm here, that it should, it should resonate with the cupbearer. He, of all people, should know what it's like to be in prison for something you didn't do. That's what I think is going on here. And so certainly, when it came time for his release, he'd remembered Joseph for what they had in common, and out of gratitude to Joseph for his care towards him, when his own heart was troubled. So this is all going in the right direction for Joseph. Soon, he can expect to be out of this dungeon Joseph was kind to the cupbearer and telling him the meaning of his dream. Joseph asked for the cupbearer's help. There'd be no good reason for the cupbearer not to honor Joseph's request. Now, if you were Joseph, cupbearer is released. You're waiting in this prison with great anticipation. And every time footsteps would come near the door, you go, oh, this is going to be the warden. He announced, you're set free, Joseph. Steps, here it comes. Here it comes. Here it comes. His hopes are way up. Do you know what it's like to have high hopes for something? Now, if you're reading this true account for the very first time, this is the twist in the story. Verse 23. Verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Are you kidding me? It's one of those I'll never forget. Oh, what's his name? Here we go again. More rain on Joseph's life. Just when there was hope for things to get better, the chief cupbearer forgot him. Now, do you see the irony here? Joseph, in his sorrow, forgot his pain in order to reach out to the unhappy cupbearer. The cupbearer, in his joy, forgot Joseph when he enjoyed his freedom. I mean, it's quite irony there. The guy Joseph helped in time, in his time of trouble, forgot him. 
How could the cupbearer forget? You talk about disappointment. You talk about someone letting you down. So Joseph sat in prison and waited. Two days passed. Then two days became two weeks. Two weeks became two months. Then six months. Then one year. Crickets. He's still stuck in this prison. He waited for another six months and nine months. And chapter 41 now, verse 1. Chapter 41, verse 1 tells us it was two full years. Two years. Joseph waited for something to come out of his prison experience. Two years. His life was on hold. Weird way. My mind went to how it feels sometimes when you put on hold with that phone call, it feels like two years. Right? You hear all representatives are busy right now, but your call is important to us, so please wait until the next available agent. Your wait time is seven minutes. So you wait, and you wait, and you wait. Seven minutes becomes ten minutes, then twenty minutes. You wonder, have they forgotten me? Now, if you're me, you go, forget this, I'm done. My wife, on the other hand, <laughs> she'll maybe hang up and try again or just put it on speakerphone and just walk around the house. Yeah, no, she's much more patient than I am. That's obvious. But this time you call back, all right? Let's say you call back and it says, uh, your wait time is now 15 minutes. How frustrating is that? But it's such an important call to straighten out your bill that you wait and you wait and you wait. And I go, there's, there's times life feels like that. Are you forced to wait right now? Do you feel like your life is, is, is on hold? And you don't know long, uh, really how long the wait might be and you wonder, have I been forgotten? Will I be on hold forever? At what point do I say, hang this? Those are the questions you must wrestle with when you are living in God's story. And that is Joseph's story. He has been forgotten. And that stings. That hurts. Do you know the feeling of being forgotten? There's Pastor Leslie Flynn who said, the forgetfulness of man forced Joseph to rely on the memory of God. He had to trust that God hadn't forgotten him. And God's memory is just fine. In the next section in chapter 41, that we're going to look at, but not in great detail, I just want to put out, point out some things here. We find here in chapter 41 that Pharaoh is now disturbed by a dream that no one seems capable of interpreting. <laughs> I don't know what the, what the, what's in the water there in Egypt, but everyone has these dreams and they have no one to interpret them. No, no, no. No, no, this is all of God. This is of God. No water. What's wrong with the water in Egypt? This is all of God because it, this is now, two years later, Pharaoh has this dream. It's going to dawn on the cupbearer that Joseph is an interpreter of dreams. And the cupbearer, when he hears of Pharaoh's dream, says in verse 9 now of chapter 41, go with me here, chapter 41, verse 9, says, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. In other words, ah, I forgot Joseph. Better late than ever, I suppose. Verse 12. 
Cupbearer speaking to Pharaoh. He says, now a young Hebrew was there with us, meaning when I was in prison, a certain, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. Things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. So Pharaoh doesn't waste any time. He sends for Joseph, it tells us in verse 14. But I want us to get the scene. Joseph has been locked up in prison, looking for his ticket out of this dungeon for two years. He has been forgotten for two years. The guy at the top, the big guy, Pharaoh, tells you, calls you in to interpret his dream. Joseph gets all cleaned up. He says he, he puts on nice clothes. He shaves. He wants to make a good first impression on Pharaoh. It matters. Make or break for Joseph this very first impression. He stands before Pharaoh. Pharaoh says to him, verse 15, you need to follow along. Verse 15, he says, I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph's standing there, shaved, clean. Here's my ticket out. Pharaoh says to him, I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph says, verse 16, follow along. He says, you bet I can. I am your guy. I am quite an interpreter of dreams. I mean, I am the real dream machine. <laughs> no, no. He doesn't say that. He says, I cannot do it. Literally, it says, it's not in me. It's not in me. No, 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 Joseph. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. He's going to say goodbye. This is where we need to be, though. If we're to be used of God. I cannot do it. And what he says next is crucial for our effectiveness. Two words. But God. I cannot do it. But God. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Now church, this is no small thing here. Joseph's preoccupation is still with God. Even in his disappointment, he lives to honor and give credit to God. It would have been very tempting here to leave God out in his response to Pharaoh, but out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says. For Joseph, this just flows out. His God-centered focus in his heart speaks. If it's me-centered, that will also speak. If I'm focused on my circumstances, that's what will flow out from me when I speak. A bitter person does not speak this way. Because how you respond in an unguarded moment will tell a lot about your view of God and how you're really handling disappointment. Do you know disappointment? Are, you, are, are, are any of your dreams just been smashed? Any unfulfilled desires? This isn't what you thought was going to happen in your life. And, and you're, you're just, you're waiting for what's next. You don't know. You're still waiting for that person to call. You're still waiting for that dream job to come your way. You're still reeling over a dad who said he'd be there. And he never showed. Or, or a mom who promised to support you and it didn't come through for you when you needed her the most. The thread of disappointment. Someone 
failed you. Someone you thought would never do what he or she did has let you down and it's left you skeptical of all people in general. I'll never trust another person again, you might say. I'm done. Now, is what you're going through a big deal? Yes. Yes, it may be. Did people let you down? Yes, they might have. Where are you going to go with it? Here's the bottom line for this morning. In the midst of your disappointment, don't miss the chance to help others. In the midst of your disappointment, don't miss the chance to help others. You're dealing with disappointment? You've been forgotten? Are you kind of saying, what's the use? Are you going to spend all your days consumed with those problems? Or in the midst of your disappointment, are you going to see that as a chance to help others? There's a true story told, true story told of a seminary professor who went into a very deep depression. And so deep was the depression that he didn't care, even care about anything or anyone. His disappointment with people left him disillusioned and feeling hopeless. Well, a good friend of his visited him one time and challenged him to get out of his preoccupation with self And think of people in his life who had been a help to him. Then select one of those and write a letter to that person expressing gratitude. And so this this self-absorbed man thought about that for some time. And then his mind went to a school teacher he had when he was a little boy. This teacher had instilled in him a love of literature and poetry and reading and just about everything. So he decided to write her a letter telling her how she had inspired him with his great love of books and reading. So he sent it off, and and a little bit while later, he got this reply in shaky handwriting of a lady who had been retired for many years. And she wrote this. When I read your letter, I was blinded with tears, for I remember you as a little boy in my class. You have warmed my old heart. I have taught school for 50 years, and yours is the first letter of thanks I received from a student. I shall cherish it until I die. A silver, a little silver of light came into the dungeon of this professor's life, encouraging him to write another thank you note, and then another thank you note, and another one, and another one, until he had written, now get this, 500 notes of gratitude. 500 notes. He was no longer close to anything that may be described as depression. Church, in the midst of your disappointment, as big as it is, as real as it is, don't miss the chance to help others. Don't miss the chance to help others. Let's pray. God, thank you for this true account ancient times, but these ancient words are as relevant today as ever. Even going through it again this time, God, there's different nuances that you kind of led me to. And what's of you and in your word and truth, may that stick. The other things may just drop off. But whatever the case, God, I pray in our disappointments, 
we'd be moved towards leaning heavily on you and your memory when other people may have forgotten us, maybe not appreciated us. And that God, in our waiting, whatever that looks like, that we can trust that you are faithful, that you have come through in the past and you'll continue to come through in our lives. It may not always be in some miraculous way, but you promise that that which you've done in the past, you will do it again in our lives as we wait and wait and wait on you and your faithfulness and not on other people, we pray. And thanksgiving in Jesus' name, amen.